Good afternoon. I never thought I would say that. Great to see you guys. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. It is not normal for us to be singing this beautiful song of worship and then follow it up with Eminem. I knew it could happen, though. Anything is possible here at LifePoint. So if you are new to LifePoint, uh, again, my name is Ed Travers. Grateful to have you with us. Uh, you have come on a really incredible uh, day that uh, we are in the series now playing where we're looking at faith in light of film, and uh, we're saying how good stories often point to great stories. So if you're a guest, um, want to say that you're welcome to get popcorn and candy or whatever soda that's out there, but do me a favor. At some point, uh, you can do it now or during the talk or whatever, pull up your phone, turn on the camera, and put it on a QR code on the chair in front of you, and that'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you might want to find out about our church, you can find there. Uh, upcoming events, uh, there are things there. Like if you want to take um, the sermon notes and follow along, they're interactive, so you can type in those, and you can email those to yourself if you want a record of what you were you know, just discussing with God as we've been talking today. You can do that. The guest information button, click that button, fill out the information, it'll take you about a minute or so, scroll down, there are five ministries from all these different, you know, all of our campuses support ministries all around, and there are five of them. If you click one of the boxes, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry in your honor, just to say thanks for coming today. So those are the little things, I think, um, but I got to tell you that, you know, I have two daughters who are 16 and 18, but when they were little... I did my best to engage them where they were at by watching the shows that they wanted to watch. So I watched a lot of cartoons. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and some of them are okay. They're like, they introduced me to things I didn't think I would ever watch. And, you know, some things were like really good. Most things were kind of tolerable, you know, like they were into it, but I was not. And some things were intolerable, chiefly this one. Listen, don't, don't email me about the, the beautiful values that they shared in that show. All I heard was Caillou super whiny like nails on a chalkboard. So here's the thing. This movie that we're watching, that, that we watched, uh, that we're kind of looking at today that points to a bigger story. Um, last Sunday, after the service, I went home, ate lunch, and then I watched the movie. But I went to my girls and I said, girls, would you like to watch Minions with me? And they're like, no, dad, we're busy. So the roles have reversed. I spent the early parts of their years like trying to watch what they wanted. Now I'm trying to get them to watch cartoons with me and they say no. That's this movie. So the movie actually is part of a franchise of movies, Despicable Me, and the main character is Gru. He's the villain and his minions. And uh, this kind of like there was another movie that became, you know, the minions movie. This is the next one, The Rise of Gru, the minions movie. And I had no idea how popular it was. I, I really... It was unfathomable to me how popular it was. You know, last week we did Top Gun, which was obviously a great film, and I talked about how much money it made. This movie, almost as profitable. I'm not kidding. They made this movie for $80 million. That's a pretty big investment for, for a cartoon, right? Well, it grossed $940 million worldwide. I'm not kidding. I was shocked. And the cast, so I watched it, and then I thought I should do a little research about the movie. The cast list of the, of the characters who voiced, uh, you know, these, these, these actors who did that, they're really incredible. So Steve Carell does Gru. He's the main character. But the, his mom in the movie is Julie Andrews. I was like, no way. Then if you, you go down and you see the villains, there's like this, this whole team of villains called Vicious Six, which I'll explain in a minute. But they were voiced by uh, Danny Trejo, uh, Dolph Lundgren, and also uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. 
I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this is a pretty decent cast list for, for a kid's movie. Um, but the movie is basically about the, the main character, grew as a kid. He's 11 years old in the movie, and it's his rise to become this incredible supervillain. And in the movie, what happens is there's this uh, cast of supervillains called the Vicious Six, and they have a, a main guy. His name is Wild Knuckles and the rest of these guys. And in the movie, I think the, the cute thing about the movie is that it had some 70s references and early 80s references, and they have to find this medallion, the Zodiac Stone, and it's kind of like the Indiana Jones moment where he has to go find the stone. And so that was really kind of clever and cute. But the, the main you know, leader, the guy who founded the Vicious Six, Wild Knuckles, he gets the stone and they double cross him. They take the stone from him and they leave him for dead. So now there's an open spot in the Vicious Six. And so Gru wants to become one of them and prove that he's a supervillain. So the problem is that that kind of all unravels and he ends up becoming the enemy of these guys who are trying to kill him. And the minions have to kind of save him. And all the stuff that, that goes on in the movie, it's kind of a funny... Uh, movie and you know it's it's kind of cute all that stuff but at the end of the day I'm thinking to myself how does this point to anything in scripture that's what I was thinking the whole time and uh, and I thought God you you're gonna have to give me something so I just prayed and sure enough I think I got him so I want to share that with you here's the point crew the whole movie is trying to become a supervillain but why <laughs> Why is he not okay with just being an 11-year-old kid in school and playing with his friends? Why does he have to be, you know, he's, he's kind of a villain in his own right. Like, why does he have to be the supervillain? The whole thing is a search for significance for him. In fact, as you start to see the movie unfold, you realize he's trying to be the supervillain so he can be significant. The Vicious Six are trying to be significant. Wild Knuckles, who's fighting against them, is trying to be significant. It really is a battle all about significance. He wants to be a supervillain, wants to be the best of the best supervillains. Why? And I started thinking about how that is like us in some ways. Not villains, but we want to be significant. We all do. We, we are wired for affirmation, and then we want to make a mark. We want to know that our life counted. We want to do things that, that uh, you know, are impressive. We, we want to we be impressive. We want our kids to be impressive. We want to do these things so that people look at our life and, and think, wow, that's, that's an impressive person. And I can tell you, if you came in today and you're like, man, I'm just trying to figure out my faith. Maybe you came in and you're kind of struggling with faith and you're trying to get things right with God and you feel like, you know, hope he notices that I'm here today, right? Let me tell you that you and I actually have the same desire, and I've been doing this for a long time, Right? Here's the thing, at the end of your life, nobody wants to believe that their life didn't mean anything. Everybody wants to be significant. Everyone wants to do something in life where they feel like it was worth it. But in eternity, so let's think of how long eternity might be. Our life, if we're fortunate, might be 70, 80 years, right? If we're fortunate, it's really in light of eternity. It's kind of like blinking your eyes. So then the real question would be, if we get to heaven, nobody nobody wants to walk in front of God and for him to say to us, wow, you, you kind of blew it. Like, I, I wanted you to know what was significant and you, you were all caught up in all this stuff that really doesn't matter in eternity. So no matter where you're at in your faith journey, the question is, what does God think about significance? What does he believe eternally means something for us? That's the question. So we're going to look at that today in a, in a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, open up to that. And we're going to follow along in the sermon notes or in the app notes. You can follow along. And they're interactive, like I said. But before we dig in there, let's just take a second and ask God to speak to us, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray you would meet us in our journey. 
that we're all on a spiritual journey and we're, we're trying to figure out our faith and no matter where we're at, God, meet us in our spot. Lord, speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that in your son's name, amen. Well, in, if you're following along in the app notes or in the sermon notes, um, the, I'm gonna say three things just to kind of keep us tracking along. The first one is this, is that the battle for significance is not unique to us. The context of Mark 9, let me explain. Jesus has been, he's gathered his disciples and he is teaching them and training them and he's doing all this miraculous things in front of them, stopping the wind and waves. He's, he's healing people, he's casting out demons and then he sends them out and says, I want you to do things. I want you to preach in my name and he gives them power over certain things and they, they do these miraculous signs. They come back and they're super excited. So they're kind of thinking that they are the special ones, right? Well, then they have this, this demon-possessed boy that they can't heal and so the dad of the boy says, go get your boss, <laughs> right? So they bring in Jesus, he heals the boy, and he kind of corrects him. He's basically, they kind of come down to earth a little bit. Well, then he pulls aside James and Peter and John, the three disciples that were closest to Jesus. He pulls them aside, goes up to a mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration, and he takes off his flesh, basically, this human carcass that he was carrying around. And then you, they see him for who he really is. Like he's glowing and all this stuff, the voice of God is there. I mean, it's, it's an incredible moment. But then he tells his three guys, don't tell anybody yet what you just saw. So that's what's happening. And they're on a road and then he tells them this. Hey, the son of man, a reference to himself, said the son of man is gonna be lifted up and killed and three days later he's gonna rise again. And nobody asks any questions. Nobody, it's just kind of like right over their head. And here's what happens next in Mark chapter nine, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So they're walking. He's just given, he just dropped a bomb on them. Like, Jesus, I'm going to die and raise from the grave. And they're walking along and they're arguing with each other about who's the greatest. So Jesus knows that. He doesn't bring it up. He says, hey, what are y'all talking about? And nobody wants to tell him. Why? Because they realize in this moment, they sound ridiculous. So you have to think, what were they arguing about? Like, what's the argument here? And, and I've, I've, I've shared this before, but I, I've just, in my head, my imagination goes like this. Like, Thomas is like, you guys, you guys doubt that I'm going to be the best. Like, I'm definitely going to be the leader. If Jesus were to die, and now that I do miracles, I'm probably going to be the top guy. Or maybe it's like Judas. Like, seriously, I'm the best, guys. You guys need to recognize that. Or maybe, like, Peter, James, and John, who were, you know, pulled aside, and they saw Jesus in his glorified state. They're all winking at each other like, it's one of us. And then, and then... Peter stands up and says, well, let's be honest. I walked on water. And they go, Peter, we saw you sinking and begging God to save you. Like, it's just an argument. They're just going back and forth. But why? Why are they arguing about who's going to be the greatest? And I'll tell you why. Because we're wired to be significant. They wanted to be significant. They wanted to be the one, the leader. They wanted that moment to say, look at me. I'm leading. I think in, in a lot of ways... You know, it's hard to identify with that moment because we, we, we pretty are sure of ourselves that we're not that immature. But I see things that are crazy. Like people do things to be significant. And I think that, that doesn't make any sense at all. I know a person who's brilliant, 
Her mind is completely brilliant. She went to school. She was in her doctorate for metallurgy. And she just has a brain that can just fathom things I can't even imagine. She was being recruited by NASA. And I asked her, I said, like, do you love metallurgy? She goes, oh, no. I said, why are you doing metallurgy? She goes, well, I want to be a doctor. I said, so you want to be a doctor. You want to have your PhD so that you can have a PhD, but you don't care about the field. She goes, yeah. I'm like, who does that? But people do that, right? People take certain jobs specifically for the status of the job. People look for a lifestyle that they can show to other people that this is who I am. People drive and buy certain things. Why? Because they're concerned with their appearance. I know people who spend lots of money on their appearance. A lot of you are thinking right now, Ed, you must have spent a lot of money on your appearance. <laughs> I, thank you. I know. I get it. Like, I know people who work out like crazy, eat certain food. I mean, I know people that spend their whole life, not just to be healthy, but they want to walk in the room and be noticed. Women will spend money on their hairstyles that men would never do. I just want to say that out loud. It's true. I, like, what are all these things? And why? Because we want, to, we want to be seen a certain way? Like, I tell my teenage daughters when they were younger, I'm like, why does some 14-year-old boy get to determine your value? Like, why are you listening to him? And then as adults, we turn around and like, well, we're going to fix up our house so that when people come over, they'll see us in a certain way because they determine our value. Like somehow it's so in us, our wealth, our social status. Like we, we put online on our social updates 3% of what our life really is, but we put the best 3% we can to make sure that people see that. In the movie, I was thinking about this moment. So Gru has his minions. And his minions do like a lot of his work, but they're always messing things up and they're kind of ridiculous and, and whatnot. And he found out there's an opening in the Vicious Six because they kicked out Wild Knuckles, who's his, his favorite villain. And so he wants to be part of the Vicious Six and they put on an ad looking for another person because I guess you gotta have six, you can't have just five. So then Gru sees the ad and wants to interview to become part of the Vicious Six. The problem is that he's got these minions who want to follow along. And he knows if they come, they're going to mess something up. So he literally says, you're fired. Like, I'm in the big leagues now. Like, you're minor leagues. I'm done with you. Like, like, I was using you to get to a certain point. Thank you. Go do another job. And he goes into the interview. He gets to the interview. They look at him. They had no idea he was a kid. They just start laughing. They just completely make fun of him. And then, so he's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal the Zodiac stone, the one that you guys took from Wild Knuckles. If I steal the stone, then he's thinking, I'll give it back to them later. And then they'll realize what I've done and how awesome I am. And then they'll accept him as a super villain. That's what he thought was going to happen. Now, of course, what really happened was they end up trying to kill him afterwards. He gives the stone to the minions. The minions end up trading it in for a pet rock, like, because he thinks the pet rock is awesome. And so the whole thing unfolds, and you know, now everyone's trying to kill him. Wild Knuckles is trying to kill him, and, and Wild Knuckles takes him and, and puts him, you know, and, like, tortures him, and, like, and the minions have to save him. It's, it's a crazy story. But he, he's desperate to get the five of them to affirm him. Luckily, I'm way more mature than they are, and I don't have any of this in my life. So I'm going to tell you a pet peeve. Since there's just, a, just us in the room and we're all friends, I'm going to tell you something, a pet peeve I have, and you can't, can't share it. So, um, but my pet peeve is I, I don't like it when I meet someone, and in the first, like, three minutes, they give me their resume. Or they start name-dropping. Like, it just kind of annoys me. And I'm like, dude, you don't, you don't have to say that. 
Like, I like you already. You don't have to, like, tell me that. It doesn't matter to me. Like, it just kind of gets under my skin a little bit. So let me, let me go back in time a little bit. I was about 23, 24 years old. I was a manager of a sporting goods store. And every year, at the end of the year, we would have these manager meetings. And at the manager meeting, they would announce the manager of the year. They'd have like a regional award and a district award, but then the manager of the year. Everybody wanted to be the manager of the year because you got a little bit of a bonus, and also you got, you got your name on a plaque, right? And so I was desperate to become the manager of the year. The problem was it was all based on volume, and my store was in a really crummy area, and so I was never going to hit the volume. So I would go to these meetings, and inwardly, I would seethe. Like, these guys are only up there because they are in this incredible, like, Polaris or Tuttle or something like that. Like, if they, if they made it fair, if I could be in their store, then I would show them I'm way better than all these other managers. Sounds super mature, right? <laughs> like, at 23, this is what was going on in my mind. But, you know, you obviously mature in life. And so I was maturing. And on top of that, Christ started doing a real work in my heart. And I started to realize that life isn't about every little thing. Life is about something bigger than just me. And so I'm like, I'm getting changed inside. I started to become a pastor. And now I'm serving people and helping them find Jesus. And I'm growing and I'm realizing significance isn't what I thought it was. And I'm now I'm in like my mid to late 30s. And I got invited to this event. The person who invited me to the event, I knew that person. But I didn't know anyone else at the event. So I'm at the event, and here's what happens. Everyone seems to know each other except me, and I feel like the weird, odd dude in the room who nobody's talking to. And it started to make me feel uncomfortable. Well, I'm there, and we're out on like this deck, and it's overlooking this water. It's a really pretty area. And so I'm talking to this guy. I found out it was a pastor, and I'm like, oh, sweet, pastor guy. I'm a pastor guy. We'll connect a little bit, and then I'll have like a buddy here. So I started talking to him, and I, I name-dropped some people I worked with. And he looked at me, totally unimpressed, and went, oh, and he walked away. And I'm sitting there, and I look down into the water. I can see my reflection, and I felt like the Lord said to me, Ed, what was that all about? What is all that? There's something in us. It's not unique to them. It's everywhere. There's something in us. If we feel a little uncomfortable, it comes out. And that's if it's not overt in our life, that there's something in us that we want to be significant. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is actually backwards from that of the world. What happens next, Jesus explains the heart of the kingdom of God. Here's what he says in verse 35. And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let that sink in just a minute. In the kingdom of God... If you really want to be great, and look, these guys wanted to be great. In fact, this wasn't the only time they were arguing over this. One time, James and John had their mom go approach Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, can, can my boy sit at your right and your left, which would be positions of honor? The other disciples found out about it, and now they're like, they're all arguing. Like, this was a normal conversation. These guys wanted to be great. And he's saying, look, if you really want to be great, and they're like, we want to be great. If you really want to be significant, you must become last. Then he illustrates it and says that he took a child and put them in the midst of them and taking him in his arms and said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So I want you to let that, that illustration that Jesus did, let that sink into your soul for a second. Because just imagine 
You're, you got a situation in your life. Like everyone who came in today has a situation. Maybe it's a, it's a boardroom situation. Like you got some business deals you're trying to work out. Or maybe it's a project you're working on. Or maybe it's a relationship strife or an addiction or some health issues. Like everyone in this room has a thing. Imagine calling in a three-year-old Billy and saying, Billy, come on in. We need you to speak into this moment. How do we make profit margin a little higher? Nobody calls in Billy. Do you know why? Because Billy doesn't have anything to offer in that moment. He can't help you. Doesn't mean we don't value him. He's just not valuable in those moments. We're looking for people that can help us. Why? And what Jesus is saying, look, I don't want it to be just about you. In fact, this child who has nothing to offer, if you receive him, and like if you really want to invite God into your life, then look for the least, like a kid who can't offer you anything. And if you receive him, it's like you're receiving me. And if you receive me, you're receiving the Father. That's what he's saying. If you really want to invite God into your life, then look for the least, the one who has nothing to give you back. That is the kingdom of God. The problem is that is not the world at all. In the movie, um, there's this moment, like the, the one character I found the most redeeming, other than the minions who are kind of like, you know, nim, nims, nimwit, nimwits, numbskulls, like brainless, like was Master Chow. Like what happened is the minions go all the way to San Francisco to try to rescue, you know, their mini boss, right? They're trying to get him back. But Knuckles has these henchmen, like these big dudes who are like chase the minions out into Chinatown. And they're getting ready to like just beat up the minions. And inside there's this middle-aged woman who's doing acupuncture on someone and she absolutely knows Kung Fu and she's a master at it. So she comes out and she just starts beating up like these, these henchmen just, just to save the minions, just to help them. And then she decides to teach them Kung Fu so that they can help themselves. She has no reason to value them whatsoever. She just chooses to value them. I found that to be the most valuable character in the entire movie. And isn't that something we all need to learn, like to value those who can't help themselves? That's just not the world. And, and we can't live in the world and not be impacted by how the world thinks. Last, last week, you, many of you probably watched the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not a fan of either team, so I did not care who won. So I watched just to entertain, you know, myself and kind of, you know, I love football, so I'm just watching the game. And, you know, Kansas City won a very close game. At the end, I noticed that they put up a huge platform on the, you know, on the, on the field, and then they brought out the most important people to interview. Now, remember, there's like hundred, hundreds of millions of people watching the Super Bowl, and they're going to interview the people. And they chose to get the owner of the Chiefs, so they bring him in. They choose to get the superstar quarterback, you know, Patrick Mahomes. They, they want to bring him in to interview him. They want to get uh, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, the tight end who's the superstar. They bring in the coach, Andy Reid, and they're going to interview these guys, and they pick none other than the greatest quarterback of all time to interview them. His name is Terry Bradshaw. Some of you guys thought I was going to say Tom Brady, but he's not the greatest. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw called his own place. Tom had to be told what to call, so Terry's the best. So Terry's up there. He's got the mic. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, he's got the mic and he's going to interview these guys. Imagine in that moment, everyone's waiting for him to interview. And what if he said, look, before we get to these guys, let's bring up the very important Fred. Who's Fred? Fred's the water boy. Fred, come on up here. Come on up. And Fred comes up like, okay, he's walking up there. He's like, Fred, you're the head water boy. He's like, that's right. He's like, look, man, hydration's a big deal. I didn't notice any of the players getting cramps. You did an incredible job. How did you do it? He's like, well, we put water in the bottles and we gave it to the players. Man, that's incredible. Like, what was, your, what was your strategy? How did you make it work? He said, well, when they asked for water, we gave it to them. He's like, you're incredible. He's like, actually, I'm pretty sure anybody could have done my job. Nobody does that. 
nobody interviews Fred. You interview the important people. You interview the stars. That's what we do. We argue about who's the greatest star. Why? Because we've been so influenced by the way the world thinks that significance means you must do something. You must create something, accomplish something, have the best. Look, it starts in school. Like, who's the best on the kickball diamond? Who is the cutest? Like, who has the best grades? And it just goes on and on and on. I mean, why else would you put that much money into your kitchen? Not just because it's more functional. It's because you're hosting people and you want them to see your kitchen. We want to be the best. And the kingdom of God is not that at all. What he's basically saying is this. If you buy into that and that becomes your endeavor, you're actually wasting your life. Because none of that will matter eternally at all. You spend your time trying to be the best. He's basically saying that won't count for anything up here. But if you found the least and you invite them in, that actually matters significantly to God. All right, so what do we do? And this is the thing. The battle for significance runs deep. The next passage, I wasn't even going to share it, but then it hit me. Verse 38 says, so John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, don't stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us. So, okay, John, the apostle who Jesus loved, who wrote lots of scripture who was handpicked by Jesus and traveled with him and saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of only three people. Like, that important guy, after sitting in the moment where Jesus had told them he's gonna die and raise again, and they're arguing about who's the greatest, and he shows them the illustration of the child. After all of that, do you know what he does? He sees another guy who's trying to do the same stuff they're doing, and he's, he said, Jesus, I rebuked him. I let him know he can't do that. He's not one of us. Just, Jesus is like, Why? Like, he's not one of us. Yeah, but if he's for us, he's not against us. Why would you, like, he can't deny us if he's trying to speak in my name. And, and John's like, yeah, but he's, he's, he's not one of us. So why is he upset? I'll tell you why. He didn't want to share any significance with someone else. He had his position. That was reserved for them. He's not sharing that with someone else. He's rebuking a guy. And trying to explain to Jesus how he did it. Why would he do that? It's as if this whole thing is going right over his head. He's missing the whole thing. It's so wired in us to be significant. That we miss the very significance of what God actually wants to do in our life. Wild Knuckles, um, the, you know, the, the founder of the Vicious Six. Because he gets kicked out. He spends the rest of the movie trying to like get back at them. So desperate. And I thought about that for a second, like, you know, when you're driving your car and there's things, you know, like little lights will come on, little warning lights, um, like if, if your tire pressure is too low or you need to change your oil or you have engine trouble, like a light will come on as a warning. There's a thing that happens in our life spiritually, I think, that God is trying to give us a warning, and it's jealousy. Envy and jealousy are similar. Envy is someone else has something that you want, like, you wish you had what they had. Jealousy is a step further, I think. It's you're actually thinking negatively of that person because they're getting something that you want. And I get it. Like, I watch children who get jealous of each other because that kid got this and that's not fair. I want this. Like, you get it, but then you see adults do it. 
Look, I've seen some really interesting things. I've seen spouses who are jealous of each other because one of them was getting a claim that the other one wasn't getting. The other one got promoted, the other one didn't. Like, and I'm seeing spouses mad at each other over it. I see it invade the church. Like, well, that person's a life group leader. I, wish, I should be a life group leader. Oh, that person sings a certain way. I should be able to sing that way. Oh, that person. And, like, and we, we jockey for position, and we look at other people as how can they improve our position. I've seen that with pastors. It's the weirdest thing. Why? Because it's so deeply within our souls to try to jockey for position, to use people like the minions to do, get our thing. We use everything around us to try to get to a position so that people will notice us. We even parents, we look at our kids and think, my kid's achievement is really my achievement. They reflect on me. So here's the question then. Well, how do we fix this? If John couldn't fix it, if John missed the whole thing and he was hanging out with Jesus every day, how are we supposed to fix this? Well, this is the beauty of it. You see, we have an advantage that John doesn't have. The, the beauty of the gospel, the good news, is that God loves us so much, even in spite of the fact that we sin against him. And we do. We all justify it in our ways. We look at other people and think, well, I'm not as bad as that person. And then we're like, well, I feel better about me, right? But someone's probably using you as their person, just so we're clear. And every one of us do things inside that we would not approve of in our kids. And the beauty is God says, I love you anyway. Like, he sees us significant enough, not because we're significant, but he loves us, which makes us significant. We're significant to him. He loves us. So he dies for us on the cross. He's no bully. He's not gonna bully us. He dies for us on the cross and then says, look, my son is alive, he's raised from the dead, and he opens his arms to all of us. He went from the cross to this. Come to me, all who are weary and find life burdensome. I'll give you rest for your souls. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is like, come to me. Anyone who comes to him, here's what happens. By faith, we receive him by faith. He washes away our sin by his blood. And then what happens is he puts his Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit of God in us gives us that internal mechanism to see the difference between significance in the kingdom of God and significance outside the kingdom of God. And there's something in us that wants to rise up and take over. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, I want you to notice that person who you consider an enemy. Notice them like I notice them. I want you to notice that person who's not nice to you. I want you to notice that person who seems insignificant, that doesn't smell right, that doesn't act right, that doesn't, I want you to notice them. That person matters to me. The Holy Spirit is in you internally trying to help you so that you don't waste your life. Interestingly enough, in the movie, um, the one really redeeming part of the movie, and other than that, it's just a kid's story, right? It's just a kid's story that's good, it's fun. You know, some kids are gonna love it, some kids won't. Most of you probably will just think it was average, right? But the one redeeming part was a moral issue that at the end, when the minion saved grew, he realized he didn't need to be the vicious six. He didn't need them. He didn't need their approval because he had his tribe. But it took them saving his life for him to even realize that. So we have a thing that we do in the church on a semi-regular basis. We take communion together. And the reason we do that, and this is the thing I want everyone to walk away with, is that the only way we're going to really do anything of significance in the Lord's name is we're gonna have to recognize that Jesus is more significant than we are. We have to recognize that he is the significant one. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And in light of him, trying to be significant is just trying to steal his glory. 
And you and I are made as, his, as image bearers. Think of us as like mirrors, that God makes us to be a mirror of reflection of his glory. So that way you go through your life, the way you deal with your situations and circumstances, it's a reflection of him in us. That people might look at you and go, why? And you're able to give a reason for the hope you have within you. It's the Christ in you that gives you the ability to do those things. That's significance eternally. Why love the person who's the least? That doesn't matter. They can't give you anything in return. Why? Because of the kingdom of God. That's what Christ's heart is. And so we do this thing called communion. And what we do is we, 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 we take this and we remind ourselves to remember the significance of Christ. Because as you start to remember Christ, what happens is it's not like you think less of yourself. You just stop considering yourself so much. The more I focus on him, the less I'm worried about position in my life. The more I see the beauty of Christ and what he did on the cross and focus on that, the less I'm concerned with whether or not someone respects my opinion. It's interesting how it works. And in, in the church, he gives us this basically to remember him. And, and you know the most significant thing about the cross, other than what happened on the cross and his resurrection, the most significant thing about that night was that he was looking at his disciples who had been arguing over about who's the greatest he put a towel around his waist and he washed their feet. The night he's getting ready to be arrested and go to the cross, he washed their feet. He showed them what the kingdom of God actually is. And when, when he took the bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which was broken for you. When he took the bread and he passed it around and said, this is my body. Now, they didn't get it, but we do, don't we? He died on our behalf. He took the cup and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a new promise. This cup represents the blood of Christ, which is shed for the remission of sins for anyone who comes to him in faith. He said, every time you take this, I want you to remember me. Focus on the significance of Christ and what he's done. And if you're here today and you're a believer like me, you would say, I'm, I'm all in with Jesus. And you might make mistakes and struggle and, and you sin and like you come to him and say, forgive me. And we take this cup and we remember his significance. Let's do that together. This represents the body of Christ. Let's remember what he did. represents his blood that was shed for the remission of sins for all mankind. Let's focus on the significance of what that means for us. As we get ready to, to sing a last song, I just want to take a second and let's pray. Let's talk to God. Everyone stand with me and Go and stand up. And maybe as I was talking, you came in with a lot of baggage. There's stuff going on in your life that you would say is really weighing you down. I'm going to ask that uh, just when we start singing, if you just head back to next steps, that's in my back left corner of the room, your back right, it's in the back. And just while we're, while we're singing, just go back and ask that person to pray for you. It helps to have someone praying over you and praying with you by inviting God into the circumstance. 
And you might say, well, Ed, you don't know my circumstance. That's true. But God does, and he has you in your circumstance on purpose. He may not have caused the issue. Sometimes we cause our own issues, right? But sometimes things happen to you. But he wants to be there in the midst of that because clinging to him in the midst of those things really does reflect the beauty of him. And if you came in today and you've got one of those things, I'm just gonna ask you to talk to God. And maybe you came in today and you would say, you know what, I've been, I've been chasing the wrong thing. You've been focused on becoming significant in a way that really does not matter eternally at all. Chasing money, chasing relationship, chasing whatever it is. You know, for you, what I'm gonna ask you to do when we pray is to slide that over to God. And if you came in today and you, you would have never connected to God, you would never say, you know what, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life, then I'm gonna help you do that. So let's take a second, let's pray. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and talk to God. If you came in and, and you're struggling and you have a thing in your life, I'm gonna ask you, I want you to think about that thing say, God, do you see this? Say, God, do you see this issue in my life? Do you see this person, this relationship, this addiction, this struggle, this health issue? Whatever your issue is, I'm going to ask you at this moment, say, God, do you see this? And then say, God, will will you walk with me in this? Teach me the significance of you in the midst of this mess and cling to me, God. Just tell him, cling to me. I have nowhere else to go but you. If you came in and and you would say, you know what, I've been chasing the wrong thing, I'm gonna ask you, that thing that you're chasing, would would you kind of bottle that up for a second and slide it over to God and say, God, I'm giving this to you now. This is something that's in my life right now. I'm sliding something across to God because I need him to have this, not me. If that's you, just slide it across to him and say, God, I need you to take this thing pray for all of you in a second, but I want to ask that if you, if you would say you've never actually prayed to, to ask God to really come in, to ask Jesus for forgiveness, here's what he wants you to do. Simply cry out to him in faith. Like that child that got lifted up, you don't need to be impressive. You don't need to try to clean your life up. That's not what he even asked of you, but like a child, just allow him to pick you up in his grace. And so by faith, you simply say to God right now, God in heaven, I believe in you and I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. And the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You do that by simply by faith saying, Jesus, will you please come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? I'm asking you, Jesus, I am sorry. You need to know he will forgive you. You just simply have to ask. And then say to Jesus, Jesus, will you lead my life? I recognize that you are the Lord and I wanna follow you. Help me take my little simple step of faith right now. Just tell him that. That's what he requires of you. I'm just gonna ask that if you you prayed that and you wanna follow Jesus, I wanna help you do something. Jesus said that if you acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge you before his father in heaven. There's something about it. There's something about that first step of making it public that God sees and it's significant to him. So I don't want to embarrass you in any way, but I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to acknowledge that between you and me and God. 
here's how I want you to do it. Just, just raise your hand up. If that's you, just pray that prayer and you want to follow Jesus. Just raise your hand up high if I can see it and say, today's my day. I want to acknowledge Jesus before you, Ed, and before God in heaven. Hold it high enough if I can see it. Yes, I see you there. Let me put your hand down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, you may put your hand down. Thank you. Father, I know there's a purpose for all of us being here, but God, sometimes life just is difficult. Losing people is difficult. Trying to help my kids go in the right direction towards you all the time is difficult. Trying to make my relationships work is difficult. God, I know there are people in this room that have difficulties. I'm asking for your mercy. God, would you mercifully come and minister to the hearts of the people? Minister to my heart, God. Help me envision you being the God who washes our feet. I don't know why you would stoop to that level, God, but I see it. I recognize your beauty and your incredible love, God. Help us to sense your love in the midst of our junk. And it's, it's hard, God. Help us to see that. God, for those who are chasing things that don't matter, God, I pray you would enter into that space with us and remind us of your significance. God, teach us to, to value the least God, for those making first steps with you, I pray you would meet them where they're at spiritually to help them to sense your Holy Spirit. Help them to sense your loving hand of forgiveness over their life. Draw them close. Change them from the inside out. God, help them to find people to walk with in faith, to grow. We ask all of this in your son's precious and holy name.